discretion is advised as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Now, are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. In my line of work, it's a sort of curious backwater uh, scoring for films. Unlike other disciplines in the arts, my field is one where, you know, you say, right, you're going to write music for a film. But it's a medium that is so proprietary it's almost, it almost works against the creative process. Unlike painting, for instance, or um, even writing music um, where you're not writing for film, you're writing songs, but almost any other art form, you create or can create a whole series of paintings, uh, using that analogy for a moment, where it is each painting might be a small progression, but it's all part of your consciousness. It's part of how you look at the world, and it is a. Um, um, there's no feeling of proprietary when you, uh, for instance, get a commission to make a painting, uh, paint a painting for a, for somebody, a Monet, for instance. You look, you go to an art gallery, and there are many Monets on on display. Some of them have been commissioned. Some of them are from private collections. Unlike that world, the film world is very proprietary. When I do a film score. I am basically nothing more than a fancy pencil for hire. I don't own any of the music when I'm done. It belongs to the film company. And likewise, when I'm done, even if I come up with something astounding that I may want to revisit as though I was a painter and I say, oh God, I'm going to do another one right away. In the world of film composition, you can't do that because you don't own the creation. And therefore, each time out has to be a completely um, clean canvas, as it were. And if I come up with an interesting idea on film A and want to explore that, it's very hard to do that and bring it into film B without somebody saying, hey, that belongs to us, you can't do that. So my world is very, very closed down creatively compared to other disciplines, dance, painting, almost anything else I can think of, writing. It's, it's just amazing. And with music, at least from my perspective, everybody feels that they recognize music, recognize themes, so everybody feels they always recognize somebody's style, or doesn't that thing sound like something else? And that's always part of the film world. Welcome, are we? Doing good, doing good. Hello, hello, hello. So we are talking about James Horner late, great music composer. Okay, so it's an interesting long time coming for this guy because you know, he just, all kinds of productions, 
movies we've forgotten he's even scored, you know. So, mm-hmm. so career spans the seventies to present day. So, when did you come to there with him? Was well, well it'll be obvious, but it was Aliens and Willow were my first two introductions to him. Very cool, very cool. So, I became a little more familiar. You know, again, yeah, Aliens is a key indicator because he later even gave a few scores that parts of the score that he didn't use for Michael came in to use in Die Hard two years later. But yeah, so uh, he's done more than I realized. And he does have a certain kind of sound that I resonates with me. So uh, for those who haven't seen his work, his work includes Corky Park, the 48 Hours movies, Star Trek Two and Free, The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper, The Name of the Rose, Project X, Willow, Red Heat, The Land Before Time, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Field of Dreams, Glory, Class Action, The Rocketeer, Thunderheart, Sneakers, Unlawful Entry, the Tom Clancy movies, Patriot Games, and Clear and Present Danger, as well as The Pagemaster, Legends of the Fall, Braveheart, which he got a bunch of award noms for, Apollo 13, Same Dill, Jumanji, Titanic, The Mask of Zorro, and then the 2000s, that's where it's kind of all a blur. There's like just so much there, including Beyond Borders, The Missing, Troy, Flight Plan, Apocalypto, Spiderwick Chronicles, and Avatar, which again, gets some award noms because he's worked with some other music artists for the end credits. More recently, he did The Amazing Spider-Man, the Karate Kid remake, and The 33, which was a real-life survival movie. And Antoine Fuqua's take on the Magnificent Seven, as well as Southpaw. And, you know, those last three, again, came out after he had passed away in 2015. So I remember Antoine Fuqua gave him some even bigger hype. He's like, this guy is the heart and soul of the movie, and I got to honor him. I can't not use this. I got to use this score and make him happy. Such a damn dedicated guy. And so his music was so popular with Universal Studios and, you know, using Imagine Entertainment that they used it for their logos for some time from 1990 to 97, as well as Imagine Entertainment used it for their logo. You know, that's Brian Grazer and Ron Howard's company, for those who don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Apparently his score, his new take on the Spider-Man theme that he did in the Amazing Spider-Man movies apparently appears in No Way Home. I didn't, I've thought it sounds familiar, so that makes sense. I didn't even know that. So, very interesting. So, uh, uh, where do you think he kind of ranks? You know, like, I'm not surprised to see that he's used by James Cameron because he also got his start on Roger Corman movies and Roger being the cheapo he is would reuse his score. That's true. Particularly with Avatar, we use that a lot. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be reused in the sequels. <laughs> So what is it about his look and feel that's interesting? What's interesting about him is, well, it depends upon the film. He usually knows how to create a certain kind of emotion in certain scenes. 
either with ones like Ransom or even I did Ransom, yeah. Imagine. Yeah, and he, even like in sneakers, he managed to do like what I call it the quirky little theme, which was funny. Sneakers, yeah, good, good point. It is pretty uncanny because it is one of those where, uh, you know, you got to be low key and then uh, just uh, insert some comedic music cues. And, uh, but as well as bearing. Oh, and it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just a tough line to draw, to <laughs> literally draw in the mm -hmm. sand and uh, compliment it all. Um, and compared to most composers, he hasn't replaced too many of them. I saw that he replaced a few, like Craig Safan and a few others earlier in his career, but it seems like, for the most part, he was the go-to. <laughs> Well, speaking of Ransom, he did replace Harold Shaw on that one. Okay. Interesting. And he's done a few international productions, like The New World and The Chum Scrubber, but for the most part, uh, you know, even other movies, which I'm not crazy about, like How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Wind Talkers. Like that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bearable. It's just not one that stands out to me. Um, well, yeah. But yeah, with the perfect storm, enemy at the gates, I can definitely applaud those. Radio is probably another one I recognize at an early age. But beautiful mind, though, definitely. I mean, definitely well deserved awards for that. It's just like you are complimenting a man who's, you know, brilliant, and then his reality is blurring. Uh, some other lesser seen movies: uh, Spitfire Grill, Courage Under Fire. Even Balto of all things, but yeah, even knows William Freakin's Jade, Deep Impact, Mighty Joe Young, and The Devil's Own, Harrison Ford, Alan J. Pacula film. Um, but uh, but yeah, Bofa, uh, I saw that recently. That was a apartheid set uh, police officer movie with Danny Glover, directed by Morgan Freeman, and uh, that had some very tense score moments. At times, moments where I was like, yeah, I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if he took inserts from that and reused them in his Tom Clancy films, uh, but very appropriate. Hmm. I'll take that out. But yeah, he, he has so many other adventure movies and like Swing Kids and A Far Off Place, so you're not very surprised when you see his, him being asked to work on a bunch of animated movies. Uh, I can see why he's often highly ranked, just like Alan Silvestri and John Williams. He just, he knows how to rely less on a chorus and just kind of uh, compliment the attention in the room for just some other highlights of just why he stands out other than working with some of the best of the best talent. Well, like I said before, he's one that, I like a lot of other composers, but you would of certain themes that we would call epic or the grand finale that some would do. He's more simple with the way he scores his films. Totally. The point that he doesn't try to be overbearing. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's not a bad start. You know, once you get out of the Roger Corman thing, he works on Oliver Stone's remake of The Hand. He does Wolfen and then Deadly Blessing for Wes Craven, one of his earlier slashers. And it's just like, that's a good way to start off, do a lot of the intense movies. And then there's a lot of the more low key kind of fantasy movies. But like I say, he just knows how to kind of be more than just acceptable. He kind of, you do feel like his music is needed as opposed to, you know, like Hans Zimmer, where he's like, you've done so much to where you can kind of phone it in and no one will ever know. <laughs> or just be too much noise, which is what Hans Zimmer does now. Yeah. He's like, that's too much. <laughs> that's his Dark Knight score, but we'll never get into that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's... He's just always energetic. No, I'm really surprised how much he was able to get done. It must have been hell on earth just being in demand at that point. I know, Four decades in a row. Definitely intriguing the amount of films he's done over those years. And compared to the other guys, the genres he's done as well. And it's okay to kind of lose track of this stuff because he, he really has done so much more than anyone mm-hmm. has realized, let alone, uh, you know, when you see less of his stuff in the 2010s, he still is like, I'm still catching up, you know, finding his scores for all these movies for, again, the last three decades. So, I mean, it's okay if it takes a while to get there, you know. All right, that's something that you instantly forgot. Because sometimes you don't even try to find out who's the composer until years later. That tends to happen with some of them. Uh, so where would you rank them? Obviously, he's the top ten, but like one, maybe midway through. You know, would he be number two or three? I'd say more. Hmm. I'd say actually at more number six for me. So there's five other ones that I do prefer overall, but he's one that just like the others that I always go back to, you know, specifically certain scores, like as I mentioned, Ransom and Aliens, Willow. Yeah. Ron Howard crew was very nice to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never heard anything bad about him from any of the directors he worked with. Yeah, never heard anything uh, toxic or about, oh, he's not providing the score I want, nothing like that. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy. African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. 
Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necrophilia. Oh, oh, oh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes a gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Stephen Izzy At eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She Podcast. I am your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast. Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. 
They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier, Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zemanoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zemanoff. The Jacked Up Review Show can also be followed on Facebook on both the page and the group. Feel free to chat, leave questions, make requests for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you so much for your various support, and we'll continue to entertain the hell out of you. Till then, take care. (laughs) 